Hello and welcome to your favorite YouTube channel, Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. And it is Kayfabe-tober. This is the list of prompts that we have designed this year. Been enjoying seeing everybody's uh, drawings that they're posting on social media. If you guys are doing Kayfabe-tober or you want to join Kayfabe-tober now, be sure and tag us in your post so that we can enjoy your artwork as well as other people that are participating in Kayfabe-tober that can find our talented audience. I also want to remind everybody that we have a cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon. There are three different levels there that will get you access to our videos early. And at the King Kayfaber level, you will get access to all of our videos first because you will be sitting in on the recording session right now hello king k fabers and uh, it'll give you a chance to get the books that we cover before they disappear from the aftermarket or go up in price and we have had that happen during recording sessions so uh check that out see what level works best for you and finally we are a daily youtube comic book channel that means we have about 1,500 videos in our back catalog. You can search those on the Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube homepage. Just go into that little search bar with the magnifying glass and put in your favorite title or favorite creator, and I bet you we'll have something that you'll enjoy there. All right, today's video, we are looking at a pretty cool art book, Raw, Weirdo, and Beyond. This is a catalog from a show that was at Boston College, and you can see right in the subtitle, this is a lot of alternative art from 1980 to 2000. So kind of stuff that we would grow up with, but also post-underground. You know, this is the stuff that you'd see Fanographics and D&Q and, again, alternative comics uh, being featured here. And it's a huge show. It's a very nice catalog. There's a lot of in intro material giving context to this work, in uh, interviews with various people like Francois Mollet from Raw Magazine. Um, we're not going to focus on that one in this video. We're just going to kind of take a look at the artwork. But it's done in that artist edition style, which is to say four color scans and reproduction of this art in uh, in four color, even though a lot of it is, appears black and white. These are actually very nice yeah, it's great. You uh, see reproductions. The, you see the nuance here, like not sure if the camera's able to pick it up, but you could see that uh, Ho-Che Anderson was uh, drawing a face in there. Yeah, it's always excellent to see this kind of process work. You know, here's a cover from King and you can see he's working on a bigger piece of paper. We've got notes all over the margin and I always love seeing like the marks on the sides where you're maybe tipping your brush or, or uh, just testing out a color before you go into the actual art. That's super early looking Pete Bag. A lot, lot more fuss and noodling than, than he grew into. Became a real brush slanger. Yeah, 1986 Pete Bag. And they are um, arranged by alphabetic order by artist last name. Um, sometimes maybe one or two pages, sometimes a little bit more like we're getting with Pete Bag here. And uh, also often covering a wide variety of what they're doing. You see you see how his, his work grows, becomes way slicker. And this, this stuff was huge. Uh, this is that like, oh yeah, yeah. or yeah, yeah story that uh, DC Comics, it was a Vertigo comic bringing in Pete Bag and Gilbert Hernandez. Shouts to Joey Cavalieri, the editor over there, to like get actual good cartoonists in, uh, paid. It, when when comics were at such a bad kind of time, and uh, Pete Bag would be there for a little while, he would do Sweatshop, which is a fantastic comic about comics. Yes, and Gilbert Hernandez, same thing, does Sloth, the graphic novel uh, over there, and I think maybe one or two other things. Couple Shelley. Dar Darwin Cook on on uh, I think Darwin Cook's last work. She yeah, Shelley, Shelley Bond was his his editor on a number of things over there. Yeah, so it's so funny to see these alternative creators and then that, that page being from DC Comics. Right. <laughs> uh, Kyle Baker, Why I Hate Saturn. Um, Al Space, AI Space? Al Space. I don't remember this. But yeah, I, don't know I like Kyle Baker's work. And one of the things that I like is the way he handled lettering for this stuff. You know, it was almost a different format. And so you get a couple of good samples of that. And you can see the lettering's actually pasted up here. Uh, kind of different, you know, for 1990. 
very different for what a typical comic book page looked like. Absolutely. And I love that cartoonists were pushing that. You know, they wanted to be different. I feel like now there's a lot of pressure to be the same as opposed to like, let's try something different. Let's try a new way to handle typography. Linda Berry, uh, an alt weekly cartoonist is uh, where you'd see a lot of her work. These are pretty fascinating. Eight and a half by 11 inches. So like one panel per page, but you know, these bigger, uh, bigger images on a page. Kind of cool to see any, what I consider atypical working methods. And I think this is a little bit out there. Love the way the lettering is a huge, almost part of the illustration as opposed to like, oh, a word balloon that's separate. And maybe we'll have a separate letter or handle it. It's like half of the page and worked into you know, different lettering styles and all over the composition. Yeah, this is Ernie Pook's Comique, which was her, her, her weekly title. And uh, these are pretty early from 1981. Everybody who is sort of deep into the alt game, everybody knows about Harvey P. Carr going on Letterman and stuff. She was on Letterman. You could find that stuff on uh, on YouTube when, she, and it was like, you know, the cool Letterman, the NBC Letterman. Uh, she, like, she would be going on that. So she was very hip and, and had a giant readership. Yeah, you mentioned that being pretty early. Here are examples from, uh, you know, seven years later and then almost 20 years later to kind of show her development too. Love seeing whenever you get color on the pages like this. This is watercolor in this yeah, case. Looking at her testing out her palette and stuff. Um, and also a very neat test. Whenever I think of Linda Berry work, I think of like no rules and just kind of chaotic on the page. Very organized testing out those colors. Yeah, yeah. She, she uh, if you ever see her speak, man, she makes a good argument for a uh, family circus. It's not a, it's not a bad uh, comic. <laughs> uh, Allison Bechtel. Dykes to watch out for being an alt comic strip, but also uh, very known for Fun Home, selling massive amounts. One of the breakthrough Broadway hits of, of uh, graphic shit. novels. I was surprised to see her lettering, which I thought was um, digital lettering, but then you see a lot of the lettering right on the board directly. Uh, just very tight, very organized. And also like the second color being added, something that I don't know. Nice to see on the original boards. Yeah, you got to have some confidence to do that. Uh, and I don't know that you get to white out your inking uh, if, if that's uh, an option to you uh, to, to color on the boards. So. There is an acetate overlay. So I wonder what part is going the black, on there. The if black. that's your lettering or uh, if that is that, like a, that's a what printout. Yeah, I bet it's the black line. This video is brought to you by the books that we make. Street Angel Princess of Poverty is my next release from Image Comics. This will be in comic book shops. Late November, you need to pre-order that one now. It collects all the Street Angel comics that are not in Street Angel Deadliest Girl alive. I am self-publishing and will be selling these on jimrug.com in late October, October 26th. These go on sale. True Crime Funnies, three non-fiction stories, 1986 zine celebrating the biggest year in comics history, and BW, a collection of black and white explosion and self-published titles from the 80s, and Hulk Grand Design, my contribution to the Grand Design history is uh, basically sold out. So pick that one up if you haven't already added it and your short store still has a copy, you want to grab that. Ed Piscor's Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus, collecting all of the Hip Hop Family Tree, plus 140 extra pages, is now in finer bookstores and comic shops everywhere in one beautiful volume. Add that to your shelf before it's too late. X-Men Grand Design, the trilogy, collecting all three volumes of X-Men Grand Design, will be coming to comic shops in late November. Pre-order that one now. And finally, Ed Piscor's Red Room, Trigger Warnings, and the Antisocial Network are both available wherever you buy books or comics. And a third volume, Crypto Killers, will be out in January. And now back to the video. 
Mark Beyer is an artist. I guess we've seen him in Raw magazine, a couple of the issues maybe Did that we he cover. Show up yet? Maybe, I'm trying to think yeah. of when he shows up. It's possible that we see him in future Raw issues, right. so not on the channel yet, but stuff we've looked at. I like his work a lot, and it's um, pretty cool to see some samples of his pages. And part of what I like, totally unique visual stylist. Does stuff with textures and with weird perspectives and character designs. He's bringing a lot to these to, to comics that I don't know what he's drawing from. No, you know, I assume it's a lot of outside comics influences. And and it, and it does have a folk art sensibility to it. It's a little bit non sequitur with the with the interactions of the characters. But like he really captured public imagination on on uh, Liquid Television. They adapted several of his works. Uh, to to make like you know tiny shorts and things, but I mean, doesn't this feel like just outside of comics? It feels like outside of outside of the art game. Yeah, uh, it's, it's representative. So obviously, that's 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 a strike against him. Especially anyhow. the early like like nineteen seventy nine was that first page, and that was a time whenever art schools are teaching abstract expressionism still. So figurative art definitely uh, something he was he was just a guy outside of whatever system as you as you say. Ed. Uh, I think that's a good observation. I would also make note for people watching at home, notice the collections of. So Glenn Bray is somebody that we see many of these pages pop up from. Charles Burns. I could look at Charles Burns art all the time. I just seen something pop up on uh, on on Amazon. Uh, it's a it's a it's called something K O M E E K or something coming from Fantagraphics. Charles awesome. Burns book in the summer 2024. Can't wait. But I love whenever he does these like book. You know, almost like paperback covers and even draws like the stylized side of the book. He got good fast. When you look at his earliest stuff, take a look at our uh, Raw 3 episode. Like it has some early Charles Burns. He's still using the brush. It's a thinner line. Uh, it's a little less sure of itself. But I mean, those are those are early. You know, that's the 80s. It's two, three years after the stuff that we looked at. Yeah, it doesn't take him long to have that style very worked out. Uh, Dan Clow's cover and uh, page from Blab. I was looking at this and really thinking about Clow's and how his work pops. And he does these close-ups and faces. I don't know if he gets credit for everything he does well. You know, like this feels like just classic cartoon illustration, but just done so effectively. <laughs> it's so funny because we know that we know what's behind there. There's a big uh, <laughs> fish. <laughs> Couple more Klaus pages. This is an interesting one. This is working over Jack Bilbo. Uh, I think he had a book of drawings or something, and Klaus like did paintings of a couple of those drawings. But if you look at the in the studio book, I believe they'll show you like the original drawing mm -hmm. and then the painting that Klaus made from Absolutely. that. And it's weird images as this painting it, certainly suggests. I mean, I think that the original image like is this whole piece and then Klaus just, uh, you know, gouached it up. Suko, another artist that we'll see as we continue going through Raw Magazine. Interesting these artists who kind of dip in and out of comics over time. You know, Suko, not a big body of work in comics, but they're in the 80s. Totally. She's all those 91. So she's connected with the raw people. Mm -hmm. And then she got her own raw one shot. She was in the documentary comic book confidential. Yeah. You also see that this is from the Billy Ireland collection. This one, this one definitely is. It better say Billy. Yeah. Because yeah. like, dude, the amount of times that we took this out and sat with it, it's a 10 pager. Fucking man, spent a lot of time with these originals. Yeah, amazing. Sorry to cut you off. I just got excited seeing that. No, I'm just saying, like, you know, some of this stuff you could find, you could go and see in person. Yeah, you can. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we spent a lot of time. Oh, my God. Remember when you came out, dude? Like, this is definitely something that we uh, pulled. Nice big pages, too. 11, uh, 17 by 14. So, you know, it's a nice art book in that this is how you often see art treated in, like, an art book where you're getting dimensions and dates and collections of all this uh, other information, I think, is very 
valuable. I used to have this, the introducing Kafka. There right. was like a series of little paperbacks. Yeah. And uh, that one had a bunch of crumb illustrations throughout, which was kind of neat. Yeah. One of my early crumb things that I bought very found in a bookstore. Very ominous cover, I remember. Like yeah. with like a little watercolor, there's that gaze of Kafka out at the reader. Yes. Uh, Dame Darcy pages from Meat Cake. I enjoyed looking at these. I have not read any real amount of meat cake. I have a couple of random issues I've gotten here and there, but like looking at the art, I'm so impressed by it. She's one of those Seattle cats. She was on an episode of like Blind Date or, or something uh, years ago. And she, you know, is still out there whenever I would be out in uh, Seattle. She's not playing. Like she had boyfriends that um, had like collars and she had like a leash <laughs> and she's like bringing them on by and stuff like that. So like, you know, Dame Darcy has a kayfabe name and stuff. And she like lives the gimmick. I like her art a lot, though. Like the character designs, it's it's pretty sharp. Nice line art. Kim Deitch, uh, big Kim Deitch fan. We'll have to figure out some some Deitch to look at yeah. on the uh, on the channel. Good as comics and has several graphic novel and collections. So there shouldn't be any uh, shouldn't be any shortage of finding good Deitch. But one of the things they do that's great, he's known for his rigorous working method of working up sort of drafts almost and you get to see like a finished page versus one of those preliminary sketches meanwhile <laughs> you know blow up those levels and you could probably publish that yeah i discovered him in the pages of uh, comics by les daniels and a very striking way of drawing faces and, and like unmistakable you see it it's like okay that's kim deitch and he's probably one of the first artists that i recognized style wise because he had stuff when i was in elementary school in if it wasn't highlights magazine nickelodeon had a magazine mm -hmm. it was a kid it was a kid you know centric magazine and i saw these kim deitch pieces and i'm like that is that has to be the the person from comics by les daniels and i saw him draw dicks and buttholes <laughs> and it's in this like little kid magazine yeah really interesting artist too like very interested in pop culture so you get a lot of that like early television stuff and his pop culture history great lettering great everything yeah. by the way this piece eight and a half by 11 and you can see there's wow. even big margins so that's a really small drawing for holy take a close crap. look everyone <laughs> a lot of detail in there for for a relatively small piece holy crap julie Doucet, uh when i started reading alternative comics she was one of the first people i found in dirty plot published by uh, d and q really like her work and we were looking at eileen kaminsky crumb recently and i saw some parallels you know in terms of maybe textures and, and really filling up a panel with these different marks that was something that i responded to with her work is just like creating all sorts of value and texture just with ink. Yeah, yeah. You did a kayfabe uh, street angel piece that was Doucet related, right? Yeah. On the uh, slave labor. Yep. Yeah, big fan of hers. Like I say, and I don't know. Hopefully, that's evident why Mary Fleener has some of that kind of energy too. You know, I'm a bringing fan. in patterns, great black and white. Uh, a lot to like in these comics. She was interviewed in like the the um, ape episode of Anti Gravity Room, so that put her on my radar. And when, uh, you, you, you know, the, the, the super, the lottery winner comic book guys, they, they have that guilt and then they want to bring their homies along and stuff. So like when Bongo comics by, by, uh, Matt Groening, like he had that little imprint called Zongo yeah. and he did, uh, some Gary Panther stuff and then he did Fleener comics. Yep. Like that was the earliest stuff I got. And then Slutburger. Uh, I was filling in my uh, collection and would scoop up. Sell vinyl paint on acetate yeah, for, for the coloring on these, which is pretty interesting to think about. Like, how are people making color comics back in the day? However they could figure out whatever materials they had. Uh, Phoebe Glockner. This was another one of the early alternative 
cartoonist I found from a book called Dangerous Drawings. It had mm. like maybe 15 interviews of different That's cool. cartoonists. And she was one of them. And I just would go like, I got to find everybody from this book. Totally. There, it's so funny you say that, man, because I never saw that book. But there was a book called Mind Riot that has a Peter Cooper cover. It was the only other comic-centric book in the Homestead Library adjacent to the comics by Les Daniels. It had a peat bag or uh, intro or something. Carol Swain's in there. There's a lot of cartoonists that, that whose names escaped me and I don't think went on to much. Carol Swain was in there, so it's like, now i got to grab all Carol Swain stuff. And uh, Phoebe Glockner shows up. And she is probably one of my favorite cartoonists of the 80s. Didn't do so much. Trained medical illustrator. Yeah, right. And, and you see it in sort of the precision of her art. Yeah, yeah. The the gravity and the squash and stretch of, uh, you know, the, 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 the body masses and things. Uh confession diary of a teenage girl mm -hmm. is uh has transcended the comics medium got received a feature film and uh that's probably the work that's like most heavily in reprint uh or in print but she had a couple collections uh that were coming out back back in the day it's beautiful work you know great integration of your lettering again patterns grayscale kind of a master of black and white absolutely like i like one of my favorites. One of the other nice features of this book is because they cite where they come from, you see a lot of the range of what was being published. Where might an alternative cartoonist find a little bit of pay and a little bit of exposure? In that case, Weirdo Magazine. Yeah, in 1993, which is like hard for me to believe. You know, when I'm in comics, that Weirdo's still coming out. I thought it was like, well, well done. Matt Groening, Life in Hell, 1986. So before uh, Simpsons, Matt Groening, an accomplished uh, alt weekly cartoonist. This is color separation. So you gotta represent Hernandez Brothers if you're gonna do alternative comics of the 80s and, and 90s. Um, but in this case, pulling out like some production art to show off, which is kind of neat. If you see John Workman at a comic book show that you go to, check out his stuff. He always brings a bunch of that production material. Uh, Gilbert Hernandez, the first of the Hernandez that we're gonna look at here. Kind of an ominous panel there. You know, probably chosen as part of this exhibit because of its uh, power that came to it m way after it was drawn in 1988. What a cartoonist. Really shows off his ability, you know, the depth, having like your flat wall behind our, our foreground characters and great black and white throughout. Fantastic textures. I'd like to see a little paste up. That's interesting. It is, yeah. A lot of Gilbert represented. Yeah, really great contrast too to see like this degree of lettering and kind of a different narrative approach compared to a typical comic book page. There will be a day where we get all 50 issues of that OG 11 Rockets uh, recorded and uploaded onto uh, the... Yeah, the channel. For sure. There goes issue number two, dude. Such what a comic! It's nice too when you pull out one page as opposed to the whole comic, and you get a chance to really survey that page. It's almost a way to see it differently. Totally. And man, looking at this page, everything we say good about Jaime, it's like, yeah, yeah, of course. Keep saying it. You are not wrong. And again, they do a nice job with uh, representing maybe 10, 15, 20 years. These guys who have a long career you get a chance to see them grow uh, with a few of the pages that are that are sampled in the show. Makes me wonder why a show like this isn't like constantly going on. Right. Because it seems like there would be such an audience all the time. I think the audience just keeps growing for this kind of material. Ben Catcher, uh, Jules Knipple, real estate photographer, really like his work. And, you know, these are ink washes. I think he now works all digital, which is pretty interesting because it still retains this quality. Love that his lettering is so unique and this made my day because my first ben catcher was in the back of metropolis magazine these are a couple of pages he would get one full-size color page and they were you know self-contained you'd read them like anytime that issue I, I had a subscription at work 
So it would show up and I would go right to the back page instantly to read it. Uh, look at the size on it. 33 by 24 inches. This is two by three feet. It was a little bit oversized, the magazine, but it probably had to be reduced at least 50%, maybe even greater reduction than that. But I love seeing this kind of stuff and his attention to architecture. So unlikely, you know, it's like a freehand drawing approach to something that I often think of as straight edges and cold. He brought a real warmth to that. Kaz, man, you turn the page and my first impression is Chris Ware. And then you go, oh, wait, no, that's not right. Kaz, another artist that we've seen in Raw Magazine, I think might have been a student of Art Spiegelman whenever he starts doing uh, some work for Raw in yeah. 1980. Yeah, it comes out of the uh, School of Visual Arts uh, right alongside Drew Friedman and my lettering teacher, Phil Felix, man, had some, had some Kaz stories. Yeah, I bet. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting collection of uh, names you just put out there, Ed. He's a cartoonist, and I say this with uh, in some of the various past stuff we look at, his language is all comics and cartoon language, and I really respond to that. Right, yeah, that, that's, that was, you know, another guy that he went to school with, Mark Newgarden, yes. has that same same energy as well. So so maybe, you know, you, 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 you put two, two poles together and uh, a crazy reaction happens. Maybe they fed each other. Uh, or uh, it makes sense to or, me. or or maybe that was the zeitgeist maybe you know maybe that's the influence of uh, art spiegelman i was going to say you add art spiegelman to the front of the class there and, and you can imagine a lot of conversations about that yeah uh keith knight a cartoonist who's had success in a variety of media and somebody that we would see at spx and at some of the small press shows uh an alt weekly guy but also much more than that totally and and really was keeping that going one of the one of the last uh who was able to kind of keep keep making that that uh the k chronicles work great lettering man like yeah. like just a fantastic cartooning yeah i was gonna say it's not you know like the lettering is awesome but also the cartoon language you know like all of these characters the faces the expressions and the simplification of that you know almost building his own language there from a visual standpoint funny as hell too eileen kaminsky crum mentioned her a minute ago we've looked at some of her work on previous videos and here get a very different feeling of it with the painting you know her background is in fine art so sometimes that informs her comics and sometimes the comics maybe inform some of her other ventures i'm trying to remember man but christine critter came up in conversation on the channel and i don't remember where it might have maybe glenn bray yeah glenn it was some collection of work we were looking at there's a lot of her work in here and it also goes in a lot of different directions love this being the uh color cover color separations but i think it's so striking in this oh, yeah. format and um, it was some cartoonist I had not heard of a year ago and then came across her in one of the videos that we were looking at and pretty nice selection of her work here to kind of show like, like a lot of cartoonists and alt cartoonists, they do all kinds of art. It's funny to see this and think of like, again, Chris Ware, this idea of like cartoonists that are doing sculptures and making toys right. and figures, um, you know, a very different interpretation of that. You know what's so funny, but Jimmy? But still these brains that are just like going in different directions. Like we've been looking at, 2d surfaces the entire time like i thought i thought that that was just a uh, painting or something <laughs> yeah i mean now you see 3d models that would look exactly like that probably uh carol lay this is again weirdo is is one of the features yeah. for this art uh collection but has done work all over the place had her own series at fanographics for a while um this is fun too you get to see the sketches you know the layout preliminary sketch they say that but again publishable exactly totally publishable you know it's just about your own personal values and, and, to, and to her like she you know she just doesn't want to show that 
off. You know, she's more comfortable. And another example of this is also Carol Lay. This is a New Yorker piece, but you see it with mixed media on paper. So, you know, <laughs> adept at black and white, but also the ability to do color. Yeah, man, because you get five G's for that in the New Yorker. Tony Millionaire, uh, another alt-weekly guy, but also a guy who's done comic books and graphic novels and just all kinds of pen and ink drawings. Francois doing things. Yeah. Um, this was mentioned in her interview earlier. You know, they talk about this. They talk about Raw Magazine and talk about her whole career. But this is like her one comic page. Right. You know, didn't do that's a lot an, of comics. It's an issue uh, one yes. of Raw. We, we, we looked at that uh, in, in greater fashion in, on that video. Uh, so in her production materials, that's exactly. fine. Yeah, get to see like ruby lifts and, and color separations and stuff here. You know, you can look up here and see the corresponding pieces of the different uh, color films. Look at that, man. I mean, that's 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 an art. Yeah, it's and and gone at this point. Yeah, you know, nobody's looking at what is, film separations what is, like this anymore. Yeah, what is fun and and what uh, comic fans kind of get a kick out of whenever I was doing hip hop family tree things and coloring underneath and then taking the black line off and I would sometimes show off the color layers and it's not too dissimilar from what you're seeing right there. Yeah. I often think that's a really neat effect. You know, like I'll turn off a, a line layer for whatever reason, checking something out underneath. And sometimes it's like, Oh yeah, that's really cool. Looking. Yeah. Uh, just the color shapes up there. There's the Suco one shot joint. Oh, it's a dummy. Yes. It's a dummy. And then there, there's a raw dummy and, uh, what's the comic art magazine has like a, an issue like this where they look at a bunch of the raw mock-ups and look at this you know like we saw seth doing this where they're like building the books themselves like this is the hardcover mock-up i love that stuff right. that is something that you just don't see that much of very very cool uh mark newgarden yeah. mentioned him a minute ago about being a guy who was into the cartoon language this is a great strip that illustrates that he uh he's a cool cat man he brought to spx this one year 2016 i believe uh he brought like reels of of cartoonist footage like all the cartoonist footage that that, yeah. that he could find from the 1900s uh you know black and white footage and things and it was about two hours long of reels and it would be you know kniff that's awesome in bed you know, getting served breakfast in bed or and like you know the guy who does uh you know chick young at on the dock uh, uh, of his estate uh, about to go on his outboard motor and go fishing and stuff like so it was like domestic it was inside all of their studios you got to see all the the helmets from every army aligning the top of the bookshelves in milk and Niff's studio prussian helmets and like all kinds of crazy shit that's really cool yeah it was great it was so fantastic man so riveting uh this nancy strip i feel like is one of those great great cartoon strips because it kind of goes through and it's like i forget what you look like it's personal ad is like the uh the comic but it shows nancy with all these different configurations of like eyes in different places mouth and nose switch stuff like that just very very funny way to think about comics making and, and with nancy in particular like it's perfect because like when i first saw this character and i don't know where i would have first saw it i think maybe there was cartoons like it, i i don't know that it was comics but like i had i thought it was a gremlin or like a little monster but that's a girl called Nancy built with those right. pieces. I, I could not wrap my mind around it as a kid. So like this speaks very, very closely to me. This is kind of your concept, right? Uh, New Garden playing in all these different directions. Very interesting cartoonist. Yeah, super formal guy. Uh, I like, I like, I he takes credit for being a creator of a garbage pill kids. Like that's like with the claim to fame. But beyond that, you know, there's the little nun that com the comics in uh, McSweeney's, mm -hmm. but there's not enough to even have a collection, I don't think. 
Uh, we all die alone is a is is his one uh, kind of a collection, but it's it's this stuff. You know, it's one page, two pages, right. almost concept stuff. You see, ID Magazine is the source for that. New York Press, the source for the previous page. So it also speaks to like there were outlets for this yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, Gary Panter, Del Tokyo baby, and it's funny seeing these things. That's I don't know seven and a half inches, and the original's twenty three. The Dow Tokyo book, I believe it was released the same day as Building Stories, I think. And I remember it getting somewhat, not not the amount of attention it should get, because it's this great wide collection of Gary Panter art, just stunning stuff. And uh, I feel like it just wasn't talked about as much as I want it to be. It's a fantastic collection, a really awesome book. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like that book comes out earlier. I feel like I remember seeing it at the, at the library. It may be a different book that I'm confusing it with, but I remember it came out when there was a high-profile other alternative comic release. You, you, I, I got them both at FANA, but one was talked about a lot and yeah, one wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it has a prominent place on my shelves. Uh, some Jimbo artwork. Did we look at Jimbo? or have we just No, and, about and, it? and we should. Like the corrugated cardboard cover one? I don't have that one, but it's a lot of the interior is the same part. It was a you comic had the that I got joint. early, yeah. It was a piece I got early... And it just was like bizarre to me, you know, mm -hmm. like I just puzzled over like this kind of artwork, you know, I had never seen comics that looked like this. Totally. Yeah. It really made a, made an impression. Pee Wee's Playhouse, some, uh, some reference to that. That always blew my mind too, that like knowing his artwork, like how could he do concept art for somebody right. to make a chair out of his drawings? <laughs> and a nice selection of Gary Panther art. Oh, in is here. that the, the, the Elvis joint? No, it's, it's and an artist that has done all sorts of different stuff as well. Yeah, you know, some of these like oversized pieces. I think whenever he did uh, the Inferno, yeah, Dante's Inferno style. There's like three volumes of that. He would do one panel a night. Right. And you know those books are magnificent, but it speaks to this artist. It's like really even working in different methods from, from project to project. Yeah. Cause at Dante's Inferno, it's, it's about tabloid size and the amount of rigor, like with, with everything we just saw where you see that kind of schizophrenic mark making, it's the opposite. Yeah. It's, it's crumb tight. Yes. How about Harvey Picar and crumb team ups here? Look at crumb dude using fucking spiral, spiral bound. It's like sketchbook sketch pad paper. Yeah, it's interesting whenever you see a bunch of the crumb artwork, you'll see like all different sizes and everything. Like that guy's just working on whatever. Give him something to draw on. Right. <laughs> Some more Kim Deitch. Yeah, that's this is kind of an oddity too. The Big Book of Thugs was published by DC Comics. And, you know, the fact that Kim Deitch, I didn't know that he did work for them, but it's so funny to think of him as doing getting a little paycheck from uh, DC Comics in right. the 90s. Those big books of are pretty interesting. At some point, maybe we'll do a video on some of those because I have a few of those. But they were they were those books that could be sold in bookstores and they could be sold in non-comics readers. It's true. It's true. And I it, wish there was more of that. Wait, as, as, we were, as we were getting started on our careers, like I just want to take a look at the year on that because I think it probably pretty late. Yeah, like 96. Like I was sending submissions by then for sure. Uh, that was a viable foot in the door to get be a part of Paradox Press and maybe get a page in one of the big books like that that was that was an achievable achievable first step for about four or five years there yeah uh richard sala who another cartoonist at some point i'm sure we'll get a chance to look at but very stylized uh a cartoonist we lost recently um too young you know yeah a very young cartoonist you can see 59 to 2020 um 
what is that, 61, I think, 61 years. But uh, the unique style is what pops. I've never met Richard Saul. I don't know him personally. But a unique style, even the lettering, unique. I, I do think a lot of this value is gone, this idea of, like, you want to do everything your way. Like, have a signature everything. Your lettering, your, your yeah. you know, your font. Your... That, was, that was one of the tenets of the, the Bill Griffith, like, 40 tips. Uh, one of the tips uh, that he that he had was like, don't try to letter like um, Artie Simek. You know, don't try to have Marvel DC lettering. Like, come up with your yes. own kind of kind of style. You know, follow some rules. And I do think that Sala breaks some of the rules. Like, it's, it's sometimes it's it's not a clean read, which is what you risk when you play around with the forms. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked with Dave Cooper in his early like aerosol comics had like little curly cues and stuff. You know, he looks at that and is like. Nah, that's too much. Yeah, definitely. That that that's the risk you run if you're pushing the envelope. Speaking but. of Kafka, dude, this was in uh, Raw number two, uh, for the Juice Swart cover. You know, the Pantheon Raws of uh, you know Volume Two. Right. And how brilliant, right? How freaking brilliant, dude. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And what I think of when I think of Sikoriak is this chameleon that does all sorts of styles and mashups and a very very uh, interesting cartoonist fun guy i like talking to him whenever i run into him yeah, at, a, uh, at a show yeah we saw him at a cxc another another good example of that little dorian picture land 2008 but you can see him just ability to to really do almost anything some art spiegelman here and we'll get a, a decent representation from him as well man a, another cartoonist that was just a wide range I forget yeah. what I was reading, but like he starts so young. Totally. Like I like uh you know, I was working with um Jay Lynch and they had connections before Underground Comics really started, uh, through the pages of fandom, like from uh maybe Humbug or, or like during the Ditto days, Jay Lynch in Chicago was corresponding with little art spiegelman in new york and i did strips where both of those guys were together like trying to recruit more people to their fanzines dude so this would be in the 50s you see this is from the collection jay lynch papers and collection of original art uh part of the billy ireland collection but you see speaking to your jay lynch uh connection probably had a big collection of art spiegelman work from a long relationship with the with the guy uh adrian tomenay tomina doing a uh, sleepwalk optic nerve number one yeah super early and even earlier ah, his so mini cool. comics collection yeah that's so cool i'd like to get in seth on the record talking about seeing young adrian tomina artwork yeah for sure carol tyler great cartoonist and another one of these cartoonists that's able to do black and white and color work yeah yeah that's she's always fun. impressive to me yeah and, and and she's got work that like as she continues to to uh make comics better and better yeah yeah that's the other part that's very inspiring is seeing seeing these cartoonists that their best work is coming out 30 40 50 years into the game yeah it's, it's always uh makes me feel hopeful for myself uh some chris ware work and 23 and three quarters by 20 so we're looking at two two feet there by over a foot and a half is that the daily texan piece yes 1989 yeah. very very young chris ware uh, you know, you see some of this stuff like the cross hatching will kind of go away. Some of this more naturalistic drawing replaced by a more cartoonish style. But you see him working that out in these pages and a rigorous cartoonist, you know, like doing this level as a student. Totally. And you also got to realize like it's place and time stuff. So like uh, it's format. So it's it's black and white. He knows that. So he's going to add like some extra textures and things. Yeah, you see those cross hatching, but you also see the screen tones being put on there like really 
a guy who's conscious of production from student days, yeah. probably from before that. You know, I think his grandfather was connected to newspapers. So, uh, you know, very thoughtful in that way, just bringing all of that to bear. I think he does uh, credit the Daily Texan with being a place where he could figure out, like, color separations and, like, how to do more production. This piece is bizarre to me because it says oil on canvas, and I just really don't know how you do this kind of lettering in oil. Oh, I know, man. Is it just, just And it's not even big. No, it's not big. So, I don't know. Maybe the oil is, is thinned down quite a bit because those letters look pretty thin, almost like it's markered and then faded, you know, if it were original art. Right. So I don't know if that's the secret or what, but again, a guy who's exploring everything, right? Like he's exploring comics in oil paint. Not something that most people who oil paint will tell you, uh, not not the funnest way to work. It's that, it's that first page of uh, Jimmy Corrigan. Yeah. That's going to be one of those things, Jimmy, where like, it, you know, it's, it's sorely like not not on the channel but it's 400 pages like like how how do we do it right yeah i don't know the answer to that um oh man look at these things this is another two by three feet look at the detail of like precision lettering going down the side of it and he do a couple of these things a week man yeah you know just really really devoted student of the forum yeah absolutely Always great to see these kinds of, uh, again, like this whole collection, you know, like this would be the richest collection of artwork I would have seen up to about age 28 or something if this had been published uh, earlier in my life. J.R. Williams doing a parody of Gary Panter and Jimbo. Yeah, and... and it's pretty spot on. And raw even with the, with the masthead and stuff. Yeah. I don't even know if this was published anywhere. It's not credited as being published anywhere, so I'm not sure what this is from. <laughs> We're getting some catharsis from J.R.R.L. Williams. <laughs> Working some stuff out. Jim Woodring, another cartoonist who does painting, and uh, pretty amazing to see this, and it's actually Marker. Wow. Yeah, how about that? I think of that, and then I look back at it, and it's like, wait, how's he blending all this stuff? Because, like, I, look I at you... this thing looks like airbrush. Oh, totally. Like, I'm looking at this stuff, and, and I'm thinking that maybe he uses a lot of, like, those French grays to begin. And, and you know, like, and then, like, we'll put, like, a wash of color over top. I remember getting, like, my first collection of Jim Woodring Frank comics, and it was that big hardcover, and just being, like, lost for hours in that world. It's such a realized, from a style point of view, it's like, that's you've walked into Jim Woodring's head. Yeah. Is that some airbrush? Charcoal. Mm. Yeah, charcoal, which again kind of points out to an artist who's working in all this different media. So that's your art collection. It's about 150 pages of the artwork alone, uh, in a very very good reproductions. You get your artist bios, you know, kind of short biographies in the back. It makes it all the more fascinating after going through the whole thing because it's like, okay, we start with A. So Kyle Baker was real early, but he is so divorced from everybody else in this thing that I actually forgot that he was in there. But it's like, yeah, he was in there. And I do remember like, uh, you know, I don't know if it's ever come out so publicly, uh, so I'm not going to name names, but a lot of like first gen alt comic guys, they were not so into the Kyle Baker stuff that they perceived as he got page rate or something. You know, it was further along. He probably made more money than these dudes and they were like upset yes yeah it's 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 interesting how that how that works for sure his biography is fantastic just reading it here like the amount of stuff that he's done he's a guy who's done everything from yeah. animation fine art all this stuff so really nice book like i said i wish i mean i would have gone crazy for this in 2000 you know if this had come out earlier but you get it when you get it and uh definitely a standout in terms of art collections and books 
artist edition style, man. You really get to see inside these cartoonists what they're working, methods, and I actually get to see those pages reproduced. Such a rich experience. If you're a maker, you can learn so much just going through this page by page. Absolutely. And I had no idea that this book existed, man. So, uh, you know, when you put the, sent me a little photo of what we were going to be looking at, snapped it up immediately, and it was pretty affordable on uh, the aftermarket. May not be now, though. Yeah, so <laughs> don't wait. Good to go? I am. Jay Fabris, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell so that we can notify you when new videos are available. Kayfabe-tober is still upon us. These are your prompts for your for your drawings this uh, season. Make sure you add us, make sure you tag us in those images, make sure we see those images, and we are going to uh, share and we retweet as many of these uh, as possible. The videos are brought to you. Uh, in part by the patrons, uh, the King Kayfabers on the Patreon get all the videos before anybody else, thus mitigating the Kayfabe effect. We are a daily YouTube channel with more than 1,500 videos at your disposal. We might have talked about some of your favorites, so hit the search field in uh, the front page of the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Search for your favorite comics, check out those episodes, but if we didn't cover your favorite comics, you have to let us know what those comics are so that we can push those uh, titles a little bit higher up on our to read pile ultimately the videos are brought to you by the books that we make jim rug and myself we are uh, working and functioning cartoonists this is a healthy blend of our bibliography right now but we're making stuff all the time and that time is now the hip-hop family tree omnibus is out in stores make sure you scoop this sucker up man it's the best book i ever made collecting all four volumes of hip-hop family tree inside of one handy gold foil hardcover with a bunch of new material so even if you got those original volumes there's plenty enough here to justify your purchase x-men grand design trilogy trade paperback is coming to you in november collecting all of my x-men grand design works and uh, some of those volumes are out of print as we speak i'm serializing a daily strip uh that uh is going to be coming out January 1st, 2024. It's called Switchblade Shorties, but if you are on my Patreon, you're going to get early access to uh, those strips. Thank you guys so much for uh, joining the Patreon. I uh, received a whole bunch of feedback uh, in the past uh, week or two. I put out new strips every Tuesday for uh, the early adopters to enjoy. Red Room has been the focus for the past couple of years. Uh, there are two trade paperbacks out there, the Antisocial Network and Trigger Warnings. These are self-contained. Uh, these each contain four self-contained stories, so it doesn't matter which one you read first. But there's going to be a, a third volume called Crypto Killers coming out in January that I want to let you guys know about. Man, save 20 bucks from your uh, Christmas and Hanukkah loot and scoop up the uh, Red Room Crypto Killers trade paperback. Jimmy, what do you got on the horizon? Street Angel, Princess of Poverty is my next book coming out from Image Comics. It'll be out in November. You need to pre-order it now at your local comic shop or wherever you buy books or comics. It collects all the Street Angel comics that are not in Deadly Scroll Live, which is also from Image Comics. They'll make a really nice set on your shelf together. And uh, there's no overlap between the two books. So pick them both up. You'll have all the Street Angel comics. Uh, Hulk Grand Design. This is my contribution to the Grand Design Marvel project. And uh, I believe it's out of print. So if you haven't added it to your shelf already, these copies are disappearing fast. Pick one up while you still can, because once it's out of print, no guarantee that it is going to be reprinted anytime soon. 
And finally, I've been self-publishing lately. True Crime Funnies, three nonfiction stories in there, including two wrestling yarns, the 1986 zine celebrating the greatest year in comics history, and the BW zine celebrating the black and white explosion in self-publishing comics and oddities from the 80s and 90s that I love so much. Those are all going to be available on my website, jimrug.com, October 26th. I do have big quantities, but that is like my holiday fall sale. So if you want to add any of these books to your collection, that is the place to get them, October 26th, jimrug.com. It's imperative that you guys kayfabe affect the books because that keeps uh, the lights on in the uh, the studios. But there are some ways to uh, directly support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Jimmy, let the people know. Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also pick up Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, mugs, hats, stickers, and more from our spread shop. That link is also under this video in the show notes. There you have it. Several ways to keep these videos coming to you on a regular basis. Uh, without further ado, Jimmy, please give the people their marching orders and we'll be on our way. Read more comics.